listening to OK Guys with Laura Joshua, a WTBU production. On December 3rd, 2016, I wrote in my journal and I quote, Last night I met the most perfect boy ever. He's cute, so sweet, great personality, tall, Jewish, and made it to the final round of chopped. Can we just talk about the ranking of importance? That I was looking for at the time. Okay, anyway. Later in the journal entry, I wrote, It was such a refreshing change being with someone so confident, nice, and personable. I hope I get to see him more. LOL. Well, here we are, three years later, and our guest today is a Boston University School of Hospitality grad, currently working as a manager for the acclaimed Hillstone Restaurant Group. Previously, he was on Chop Teen at the ripe age of 17 and would have won but was robbed due to a broken mixer. You can all watch it on Hulu, by the way. He is receiving <laughs> He is still receiving messages from random women to this day. Fame is so hard. Wow. He may not know the lyrics to any songs and is the reason that I failed my statistics final freshman year, but he is the sweetest and most handsome 21 year yeah, 21. You're old. I had to think about how old you were for a second. <laughs> I'm older. Most handsome 21-year-old on planet of Earth. He stole my heart and is about to steal all of yours. Please welcome to the pod my boyfriend, Jared. What an intro. Hey, guys. You liked it? Yeah. Good. So today we wanted to talk all about food because we love food. Yep. And our relationship pretty much revolves around food and thinking about what we're going to eat next, where we're going to eat, things like that. And obviously, Jared is an expert of the sort. So we want to ask him all of our food questions. Uh, so yeah, let's dive in. I would like can't to wait. say, can't wait, babe. So excited. <laughs> um, I would like to say that I am not a chef. But You're my sous chef. I am Jared's sous chef. I really don't know much about cooking. I love eating, um, but I really have a lot to learn when it comes to cooking. So I figured that Jared could help many people that are like me and give some wise words. And yeah, do you want to maybe, let's skim your resume and why are you qualified for this? Should we tell people what you've done with your life? Sure. So I've been cooking for about six Six or seven, yeah, was it six years now? Yeah. About six years. Um, currently actually managing a restaurant, so I'm out of the kitchen for the first time in those six years, but I've worked in restaurants all sorts of different places from New York to Boston to Connecticut all the way across the world in Australia. So, um, you know, I've done baking and, and cooking with savory and all sorts of different butchering and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I don't know if I've mastered much, but I've seen a lot. Definitely have grown a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And did you mention you're a butcher? I did. Okay, I missed out that part. I yeah. That there, Baking, yeah. butchering. <laughs> Is that a word? Butchering? Yeah, I think so. I wish there was a B word for savory. Cooking in the line. No, I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to invent that. Okay, anyway. So, yeah, maybe let's also talk about getting started with why you love food. Yeah. So, I love food because it's so interesting. It's like at the same time you got to be when – you're, when you're a chef or when you're a cook, you got to be 
an artist, one, but two, you get to be like a craftsman, you know? So it's like, there's this artistic side that's like all full of creativity, but then there's this craftsman side where you're like, every day you're practicing certain skills and you get better and better at those things. So it's kind of two things that are often very thought of as different and you get to do both of them in the same thing. And you get to eat it at the end, which is better than anything you could <laughs> ever, I don't know, sew, draw, not to, not to diss anyone who does those things, but you know, we get to eat. You don't get to eat those you get projects. To eat at the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that I that's great, babe. That's really awesome. So I did a poll on the podcast Instagram. If you're not following, I do fun polls kind of to, on the topics of these episodes. So definitely follow at Okay Guys Pod on Instagram. And I asked if people have been cooking since they were children, or if kind of in college. When they got to college, they started cooking. And majority of the people said that they've been cooking since they were little, which really shocked me because I don't even think I made like any meal for myself until the summer going into junior year of college because that was the first time that I had a kitchen and an apartment. So I don't know. I was so I was very impressed with the audience. Yes, that, the majority of your viewers have a jump start on me. Yeah, yeah, seriously, a jump start on a professional. Um, but I was very surprised by that. But I do think there, you know, there were still a good amount of people who said that they had just started cooking in college. And whether you are have been cooking for a while, you feel comfortable in the kitchen, or you literally have never cooked in your life, like you only do Uber Eats in the dining hall in college or whatever it may be, or your parents are cooking for you. I definitely think there is a lot to learn. And so I hope in this episode, we can just go over some basics and some ideas for people with food. Yeah. So let's get into it. So so you started cooking when you were about 16-ish? 15, 16? 15, yeah. Yeah. And you were never really interested in food or cooking before that. So. Well, I was interested in food. I, I became, so I was a really picky eater, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, this is more for the viewers. I didn't know you um, when you were a kid, but I've heard the story. Yes, yes. So, yeah, when I was very little, I mean, all I would eat was just like four or five things. And then, I mean, I was a good fruit eater, but like I wouldn't eat any proteins or anything like that. I was just really hard to cook for. And as I got older, I started to branch out my palate more. And you know what actually really inspired me, which is really interesting, was my I was either sixth or seventh grade health teacher, Miss Saltzman, who was taught we were learning all about like nutrition and stuff like that. And so I'd go home and I would, you know, ask my mom for certain things and I'd try them and I would like that and I'd branch out more and more. And over time I became a food e. I loved to eat. I just didn't know how to cook. Um, my mom is a fantastic cook, always has been. And, you know, as I grew to appreciate that, I was like, you know, maybe, maybe it's time for me to learn too. Ooh. And a star was born. <laughs> <laughs> and so how can people who really don't have that much of an interest in cooking or food in general, how can they kind of branch out and get into cooking new things, trying new things? They don't have an interest? They have an interest. That's my first, my first <laughs> response to what's wrong with them. Um, <laughs> Maybe they have an interest in eating, but they have no interest in, in cooking. cooking. Well, a lot of times people say that because they're scared. Mm -hmm. Most people I know who, uh, I mean, I, I know so many people who don't cook, don't, don't, weren't interested in cooking or did not cook. And then they got into it a little bit 
whether through quarantine or whether through <laughs> school or whatever it was. And once they start to feel like they're getting a hang of it, they love it. I think that people who say they don't cook are just, just discouraged cooks who think of it as this really daunting, hard, maybe even dangerous task. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they just hate cleaning up dishes. I don't know. I mean, if that's Which, the case, find, honestly your, valid. find yourself someone who will do it for you if you cook. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I don't know of too many people who I truly believe can honestly say that they don't like to cook. It's more, I think, the people are afraid. So I guess to summarize the advice, it's just throw yourself in a kitchen, play around, try things. You know, I would say figure out something simple that you really like to eat and learn to do that very well. Something that you eat a lot, right? So if you love eating scrambled eggs in the morning, Mm. all right, then... Which I do. Then learn to make really great scrambled eggs. Now, that might mean going on Google and reading up some famous French chef's recipe, or it might mean checking out a cookbook. And it, you know, then you learn, okay, here's how I make really great scrambled eggs plain. And then you maybe add cream cheese and chives one day or or, or bacon and mushrooms. And you just play around. You learn new things with this simple canvas of, oh, this is scrambled eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, oh, this is fried rice that you've now made several different variations of because yeah. you like to eat fried rice and you eat a lot of it. So that way, you learn to make something that you like to eat frequently, delicious in many different variations so it doesn't get boring. I love that. So is, a, is one way to vary a dish would you say spices play a big part because I'd love to talk about some maybe flavoring and spices because I literally did not know what spices were I only knew salt pepper lemon olive oil that's still kind of what I stick to these days yeah so when you think about spices you think about like things that in your spice cabinet kind of stuff or yeah yeah so you're not alone. Most most cooks and a lot of chefs don't even know how to use those things. Really? I mean... This news? So many people don't understand them. And um, I was fortunate enough to end up in a restaurant working for um, Chef Anna Sorton, who owns Oleana in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And, and Sarma. And Sarma as well, and Sofra. Um, and all great places. If you're ever in that mm-hmm. area, go, please. Once everything's back to normal. That's true. Um support local restaurants Mm -hmm. and then you know that food that i worked in was it was middle eastern and so that's the you know cuisine that brings in all these spices in the spice cabinet and so you really get an idea of how to use them um but i would say i'm gonna throw out a cookbook here it's not even a cookbook actually it's more of a reference book that one of the easiest ways to make things more delicious is to know what goes together Mm. um and one really great resource for that is this book called The Flavor Bible. There's no recipe. Who is in it, it by? Uh, I want to say. Do you want me to look it up? Yeah, why don't you look it up while I talk about it a little bit? Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's James Peterson, but I could be wrong. Let's um, find out. But what's so great about it is. Is that my right? Unfortunately, you are incorrect, Who's my it by? dear. Karen Douglas? No. Karen Page and Andrew Dornberg. Karen Page and Andrew Dornberg. There you go. I was close. Uh, <laughs> it's so great because they have all these mainstream ingredients like mangoes and 
apples and black mm. rice or brown rice or white rice and all these different things that you'll find in your kitchen and a list of things that it go, go well with that ingredient, right? Love that. And so you say, okay, I have some asparagus that needs to get cooked. And you look in your, um, in your, in your book and it tells you, oh, it's great with eggs. So you fry an egg on top and maybe chop some parsley and put that on top and a little bit of hot sauce and you're good. And that's a <gasps> delicious, like, and now so, I'm hungry. <laughs> so you, you, you look at this book and it can tell you what goes well with what you have mm -hmm. and you can create your own recipes. If you're, if you're the more ambitious type who doesn't want to really follow a recipe, I personally do both come up with my own and follow recipes. Mm -hmm. But if you're someone who doesn't like to follow recipes, totally get that. There are a lot of people like that out there. I'm one of those people. Then this I is the I don't like a recipe. Because you can get an idea. Like, you know, because so many people go in the kitchen and they're just like, I'm going to just figure something out. And they make this I do that. disgusting <laughs> mess of a, of a okay, thing. Okay, but it's so subjective because that's why I like cooking for myself. Because I'll be like, ooh, I love X and Z together. Yeah, and well, that's the whole point of this Then book. I just it's throw like it in. Strawberry and basil. It's like those two go together very nicely or – I mean it does, but um, – Kale and basil. Sure, yeah. that Yeah, and so, you know, <laughs> tomato and, and, and basil, that – you know, those two Yeah, classic. Are, yeah, and so it'll tell you that and it'll actually even highlight and bold things that are like super classic. Um, and really? so, yeah, so if you learn about those things – Apple and bacon and egg. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone wondering, I told Jared, I had a basically a vision one day that an omelet with apple, bacon, and goat cheese would be the most magical thing. And Jared did not believe me whatsoever. He said, that cannot be good. And then I had him make them for us. And it was amazing. So I really recommend that to everyone. And that was just something that I was like, well, I love apple and bacon and salad and goat cheese with eggs. Let's just put it all together and work it out. It was delish. It was delicious. Thank you. Wait, I really should get that book. It's fantastic. That sounds amazing. And also, so what's this whole like salt, acid, fat, well, that, heat yes. combo so, thing? Great. So that was another really good book. That's, um, well, it's also a Netflix documentary. Oh, really? Series. Um, it's by, uh, as, how do you, I don't really know how to say her name. Um, it's like Nazmin or something like that. Okay. Anyways, I'm not sure. Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat is this really great book. It's actually a little different. It's a reference book in some regards because it explains to you the the basics of cooking from somebody who worked in some great restaurants. Mm -hmm. I think that's the disconnect a lot of the time in these cookbooks is they don't really give the secrets of the restaurant, like Behind the cooks. The yeah. Scene. Exactly, and so. I might give you a recipe, but it's not its not the same as giving you an understanding. And she does that, and she does a great job with that as well, explaining, like, how to season your food, how to think about salt, how to think about cooking fats, whether it's, you know, you're using olive oil or butter or why it's important, and the importance of acid, which is something that I learned to really focus on this past year. and has What been... does that even mean? So what that means is think about guacamole, right? Love it. If I make guacamole and I go really light on the lime juice, it's going to be boring. Mm. And the reason for that is the acid keeps your palate awake, right? So if you have something that is lacking in acid, you're going to get bored of it pretty darn quickly. But if you add enough acid, it makes it more interesting. Um, and so, you know, that 
is something that you learn to maybe add a little splash of, um, I add it to soup sometimes. I, mm. I add it to... What's other form? Like, what are other acidic things besides lemon and lime? Wine, vinegars. Oh. Um, you can use different dairy products are acidic, like milk and stuff like that. Right. Um, pH. Yeah, buttermilk is acidic. <laughs> you know, there are a whole bunch of things you can use that are, are acidic that really liven up dishes. And so you just learn to look for that, I guess, taste for so that? So the best way to do all of this stuff is is trial and error. And okay. so, you know, make guacamole. Don't add lime juice yet. Mm-hmm. Taste it. Add a little bit more lime juice. Mm-hmm. Not a whole thing. And then taste it. And then add it more and more until you really like how it tastes and stop. And get an idea. Or even go too far and then be like, okay, this is too much. And that way you can find this line between not enough and too much. Do the same thing with salt. Season something too much. Season it too little. And then find that little range and then you'll understand how to season food properly. Because mm. the idea with seasoning with salt is season to the point that salt is bringing out the most of the flavors. That's what salt does is it actually makes t- food taste more like itself. But the moment you add too much salt, you actually taste the salt. You don't want to taste the mm-hmm. salt. You just want the food to taste more like oh, itself. Oh, really? Yes. This is – I'm just learning so much <laughs> yeah. right now. Wow. Wait, can we teach them about – Oh, about parsley. Uh, yeah, so the, uh, one other flavor combination <laughs> that Laura wants me to throw out there that I learned um, – Well, because it's so good. Working at Oleana is that essentially – and this is great because a f- major food trend out there right now is Middle Eastern food. Everyone's loving that – you know, Middle Eastern and Eastern Mediterranean kind of stuff. Yeah. Is that if you add parsley, mint, and dill in equal proportions to anything chopped up, it tastes instantly tastes like it's so coming from that region. Parsley, mint, and dill <laughs> is the hidden wonder of the world. Cause it seriously, I felt like I was in Israel just eating plain cauliflower and broccoli. And I think the tahini definitely helped, but that's less of a common staple. It's harder to find, I guess. But yeah, so how can people kind of learn those like classic things? Is that something that would be in the flavor book? Well, I mean, for me, I cook that way. I cook with Middle Eastern Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. And like that's my first instinct. Doesn't mean I won't make a, you know, a fried rice or um, some kind of, you know, Italian pasta or, or, or for you, you love chicken parm. I've made chicken parm for you. Mm, my but, fave. But my first thing is, I think, Middle Eastern, Med- Eastern Mediterranean. So, like, figure out what you like. You know, if you yeah. if you really like, what's your favorite cuisine? Do you love Chinese food or Japanese or Mexican. Indian or Mexican? Exactly. Then then trying to find that, like, thing that you're always thinking first. Mm-hmm. And so when you get your cauliflower, maybe you decide you want to go the Italian route or the Indian mm-hmm. route. And so you hit it with curry powder and you cook it with coconut milk and, and you add some peas and you make this like little cauliflower stew or something like that. So, you know, Ooh. if you think about it in a certain frame, it's kind of just gives you this roadmap of what you're supposed to do with it. This is wonderful. <laughs> People better be with a pen and paper writing down this wonderfulness. Okay, great. So we talked a little bit about seasoning and like things like that, but I'm wondering, like, knife skills personally i did not pick up a knife i don't think until sophomore year i and 
I don't know if knife skills are that important to the more advanced style cooking, but I think it can be scary. It can be scary working with big knives or whatever. So how can people get more comfortable and practice in a safe way? Yeah. So first of all, go slow. Um, I would say... Wear shoes. <laughs> the, the vast majority of people, and I mean like 90 plus percent, pick up a knife and they're holding it wrong. Mm. My mother, who I said is a fantastic cook, she holds a knife wrong. She has Ooh, for called out. 50, or I mean, 40 something years <gasps> that she's been cooking. And, you know, she's doing just fine. So, for anyone who's looking to, you know, improve their knife skills, because one, it's going to make you go faster. Mm -hmm. Two, if you have, let's say you're cutting carrot, and you have a carrot that's two inches, and you have a carrot that's one inch because you don't have control over your knife. Mm -hmm. When you cook that, the two-inch carrot is going to be totally undercooked by the time the one-inch carrot is cooked. And so if you wait to get the two-inch carrot cooked, the one is going to be mush. That's a good point. Right? So you want to have good knife skills. I mean, no one's going to be taking out a ruler and measuring your skills. <laughs> and if they do, measuring their carrot. get them out. Um, but, you know, even if you're cooking at home, you want to be remotely... Um, competent with your knife, especially because it makes things safer. Yeah, that's something that I have to hold my breath sometimes when I see people cutting the wrong way, <laughs> including yourself, because I want to go over and correct it. And you do with me. I know, and because... then I I do feel a little discouraged, but I know it's just because number one, you're trying to make sure I don't chop my finger off, and that's also because you're trying route. to help. Yes, no, I just don't want you to lose a finger. Um, and that's the thing is like people are afraid. It's it's counterintuitive. Like a sharper knife is less dangerous than a dull knife. The right. reason for that is because a dull knife slips. And if a dull knife slips, you're going to get hurt. Everyone knows what's coming. Exactly. Not good. So <laughs> use a sharp knife, first of all. And so if, if, if your knife is dull, there's a couple things you can do. Um, you can use a honing steel, which comes with a lot of knife blocks. And it's that large steel pole-looking thing. Um, if you're ever wondering what that does, uh, it makes the teeth of your knife aligned so it's as sharp as it possibly can be a lot of times you think your knife is dull and it's not it doesn't need to be sharpened on none of those electric sharpeners or mechanical ones that you might buy it just needs to be honed it's a really simple thing to learn how to use that just check it up on youtube or um, some of these beginner cookbooks will have instructions on how to use that but um so use a sharp knife use a, the right size knife you know don't start trying to cut a steak with a paring knife or don't quarter strawberries or, or cherry tomatoes with a big eight-inch chef knife. Like mm -hmm. use the right knife for the right tool. Right. I mean the right tool for the right for the right task. And so I would say get comfortable with a larger knife because larger knives um, are pretty important. It's gonna make you a better cook. And then also when your friends are around and they see you cutting things, they're gonna ooh and ah. It's really fun. Oh, it's all for the impressions, it, it I is, see. Uh, yes. You know something I also just thought of when you were talking about this that I think we have to teach people if they don't know, because I feel like a lot of people don't know this actually, is about when you're using a pan. When, Like let's say you're making chicken in a pan. Everyone cuts into oh, it don't do in that. the pan. So that's bad. I don't want to say everyone. I've just seen a lot of people do that's this. That's bad for a lot of reasons. One you're cutting your Teflon pan, which is going to scratch the surface and release some of that stuff into your food. And every time you use it afterwards, like it's going to be chipping and chipping and chipping. And so every time you eat, you might be eating residue of nonstick coatings. Don't do that. 
Um, leave your pans alone. Uh, two, you're going to dull your knife. Your knife should only ever be used on either a wooden cutting board or a plastic cutting board. Don't use ceramic. Don't use glass. Don't you don't cut onto your marble countertop. Um, also, the raw chicken. Well, assuming it was raw. I mean, I don't know if it was raw. It could have been cooked when they cut into it. No, let's go with a raw. Okay, it's raw. Raw. Gross. Chicken breast. Um, uh, is that raw? Can get into the cuts and bacteria. That's oh, that's right. Yes, thank you. So, yeah. No, <laughs> oh, the if you make, becomes a teacher. That's right. That's right. I wasn't even thinking about that. But if you cut into the pan or you make holes in your or 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 cuts cut in your marks. yeah in your in your nonstick pan those cut marks are little holes that you can't really clean well into but that residue of food will get into so for example you know you might have um bacteria from your raw chicken or from other things that you might cook um and it's stuck um and so that's just a health risk so just please don't don't cut into Just your pan. Take the chicken take out. Take it out on your cutting board and cut it there. You know, use a pair of tongs. Don't grab it with your hands in case you're going to. Um, well, that's a pro move. If you can, you know, extra points. No, um, it, it's hot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, don't cut into your pan. Okay. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Love you. So, <laughs> what are some staple dishes people can make very simple maybe just using one appliance like stick it in the oven or put it on the stove top whatever yeah. like, what are just some really simple one of your favorite staples sheet pan dinners i mean sheet pan dinners are as simple as cutting things up putting them on a sheet pan and roasting them in the oven mm -hmm. um so you know that's one thing i always will recommend is you can put chicken thighs or, or breasts or whatever on a pan you can cover it with some marinade or sauce or whatever has tons of flavor and then you know cut up a bunch of vegetables whether it's brussels sprouts or fruits like apples and you know um, some herbs at the end but you know throw this stuff in the oven i mean depends on the temperature if you're cooking fish or chicken for something like fish, you want to have a gentler oven, three fifty. See, that's something I never know. I never know. So think about the how, temperature of an oven. How hard you want to cook something? You know, if you want to cook fish, you want to cook it light. Okay. Think about like light fish. You don't ever look for like. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking about it. But like, if you're cooking, <laughs> <laughs> if if you're thinking about making, you know, chicken thighs, you want a nice crispy chicken skin. Yeah, yeah I do. You do. <laughs> and so for that, you're going to need some higher heat. Okay. Um, I just don't know what that means. Like 450? Yeah. Okay, that's good. You, I just threw that you out You will not there. burn the house down by cranking up the oven, I promise. Really? Yes. Okay, that's actually good to know. Thank you. I cooked some things on 500. Whoa. I know, getting old angry. If you can't take the heat, get out, get of, out of the, the kitchen, kitchen, boy. Okay, that's good. And also, people wanted to know how to eat healthy but still on a budget. Because I know... Babe, I know you. I'm going to expose you. I know you love your Whole Foods. And because you love food, like, you are willing to obviously spend on it because you love it. And it's also research. <laughs> um, yeah. But how can, like, the average college student fall on a budget but still eat really healthy? Yeah. So one thing I would say to that is I run my kitchen at home when I'm at home like a business. And so I don't waste food. Right, so I don't, oh, I, don't cook, I don't cook what I want to eat necessarily. I'm just like, okay, every day, 
I mean, I'll always cook something that I want to eat at the end. Like, it's going to be something that I wanted to eat. But it's like, I don't look in my fridge and say, okay, you know, this cauliflower really needs to be cooked, but I really want asparagus tonight. And so I'm going to say, screw you to the cauliflower, and it's going to go in the trash tomorrow, and I'm going to eat the asparagus. No, it's going to be, I cook the thing that needs to be cooked. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just figure out how to make that cauliflower taste the way I want it to taste um, to match how I'm feeling that night. And so don't waste food because that's expensive as hell. Um, it's also bad for the planet, so don't do mm -hmm. that. Think about cooking a certain style. So, you know, until you're swimming in it, steak dinners, <laughs> keep that keep that down. Uh, <laughs> repress that feeling. Um, you know, so think about it almost like meat on the side. That's something that's been very popular now is if you're not oh. – if, if you do eat meat, eating less of it. We eat a lot of meat, and I'm not – a vegan i'm not a vegetarian i'm not going to tell anyone to be those things and i won't fault anyone who is but as someone who eats meat i try to do when i cook at least very vegetable focused things mm -hmm. with a little bit of meat you know maybe if you're making a, a corn relish with you know corn and onions and peppers and, and a bunch of what would like you that, put that on you can put that well i would serve it with some bacon and Ooh. and so you'd have some cut up diced bacon you cook and you you mix that all together Eat that as one oh, it's your, a side dish. You can eat that as a side. You can mix the bacon and put it on top of um, a little bit of chicken or something like that. Or like finding things that are cheaper, things like grains, like you know, like rice, um, beans. Beans are dirt cheap and so delicious, and they are so easy. You can use canned beans. I do feed you know with corn and, and other or peas or whatever the heck you put in there, you know. Vegetables are not that expensive. Well, I will add to that. Well, obviously, it depends what you're getting with that. Um, but I will add to that. I'm not exactly sure how you feel about that. But, like, I love getting frozen veggies and oh, yeah. keeping them because I find it's a really easy way not to waste as much. Because exactly. let's just face it, fruit and veggies, if you're not eating them within the first couple of days you're buying them, like, they, they go bad. Yeah, and we're all and, guilty of that. Yeah, we're all guilty of that. And... Also, that's not really gonna be prolonging your trip to the grocery store. Like, it's not gonna last you that long. And you gotta eat it or it will go bad. So that's why I love frozen veggies. Frozen at their peak, so like they are great. You know, sometimes you won't cook that asparagus, like I said, until it's a little bit floppy. And, <laughs> <laughs> yes, floppy asparagus. And, and, you know, so it's not really at its peak anymore when you're cooking it. And then sometimes you'll just miss it altogether and it'll mm -hmm. go bad. Yeah. I feel so I think guilty that we, about that. We go to the store and I think we just get so inspired that we're like, or maybe <laughs> I did. I don't know. I don't know how you guys no, honestly, home. I do too. Yeah, I think we are like, oh, I'll do something with this. And then you don't because life happens and, yeah. you, and you don't have time. Um, or, you know, you'd rather watch TV and you don't have dinner too. Uh, <laughs> or you'd rather just order in because you're lazy and you don't feel like doing anything. Yeah. Happens to all of us, like even this guy, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, I waste food. It hurts me, but I do it. Oh, it hurts you. Oh, so bad. No, it, it's honestly it is. I feel really guilty about it, and that's why, like, the frozen foods have really helped. Even frozen fruit, they're not just for smoothies. Like, you can put, you can pop it into the microwave for like twenty seconds, and it's normal. So good. Or so if also that's another tip. Like, if you see something's going bad, you can fruit and vegetable wise. Um, like pop it into the freezer. Oh yeah, always freeze things. If like, like I said, if you make plans to cook something and you don't end up cooking it, 
Yeah. Or like you said, if something's going, but you can see something's like, okay, like you can the, see like, these ah. strawberries, one of these strawberries is bad, but the rest of the case is fine. Mm. Don't throw it out. Your strawberries are fine. Uh, <laughs> something you're very guilty of. No, no. I, excuse me. I used to be guilty of it. I would see like one moldy blueberry and I would freak out and I would throw out the whole carton. And you have definitely trained me into not being so freaked out and maybe just throwing out the moldy one and maybe a couple that touched it. And yes. then... It's fine. I hope everyone has learned a lot more about cooking. I feel like we could definitely do another one of these in the future if people have more questions. But I feel like it definitely, we got a lot of really good info out there. And I think it is time for a lightning round if you're ready. Because I'd love to know. So what is your favorite food in the whole world? Ice cream. <laughs> What's mine? Yours is chicken parm. Good job. Your least favorite food in the world? Tofu. Do you know mine? You don't like mint, but... That's what I was going to say. Oh, okay, okay. Mint. Uh, yeah, mint or like... Did you try the durian? I was going to say mint or ham. You've never even had ham. That's why I don't want it, it and it's so my least different. favorite. Okay, your favorite flavor combo in the world? I would say maybe... Vanilla and caramel, or apples, Ooh. apple and caramel. Ooh, Ooh, apple and caramel. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Mine's chocolate and peanut butter. Of course. Yum. Okay. What is your favorite food trend right now? I mean, I've said it a couple of times. I'll say it again. I mean, it's Middle Eastern. Middle Eastern food. You go to the supermarket now, and everything's got like you got beet hummus. Like, not even just hummus anymore, but everyone has hummus in their fridge now. But it's like you have beet hummus, and you see tzatziki and baba ganoush and all these different things that people are getting familiar with. Everyone has falafel now as mm -hmm. like a meatless option. Um, you know, so it's really cool to people to branch out and see this as like a new cuisine that is really taking the country by the storm. Yeah. Especially because it's what I trained in. So that's yeah. <laughs> okay. What are three things that are in your grocery cart every week? Eggs, butter, and probably chicken. I would say that's pretty <laughs> solid. Okay. Favorite restaurant of all time? That's a hard one, I know. Um, you can do a couple. I would probably say Blue Hill at Stone Barns. Okay. <laughs> the first restaurant you're going to when all of this probably ends. Probably Blue Hill at Stone <laughs> I knew Barns. That I, was told, I told you I would take you. Yeah. Can I? Oh, I have that now recorded. Yes. Good. Okay. Um, where do you see food going in five years? Such an interesting question because if I'd asked, if you'd asked me that two months, three months ago, I would have mm -hmm. given you a totally different answer. But right now, I would say it's totally changing, and I have no idea because I mean, food at home is is changing in a positive direction yeah. because people are cooking with their families, um, people are learning to bake bread and to make. Everyone's make, starts out with banana bread, and they go from. That's maybe some people just start doing like legitimate bread and you know people are cooking for themselves and learning that stuff so that's all really good because i think that our generation and maybe just the, the population in general is just becoming less in touch with cooking at home and i think this is actually if anything a good thing for that for restaurants not so good we'll see what happens in the future i don't know but the silver lining is that people are cooking at home and that is a good thing 
Yes. And stay tuned for the end of this episode where we mention a bunch of different food-related donations and organizations that can help people who are in need of food and are less fortunate to be they're maybe not cooking this banana bread and bread at home so i'm definitely going to be listing out a bunch of ways that we can help them at the end of this so stay tuned um what is the best cookbooks for someone who what are the best cookbooks for someone who's maybe a little bit more of an advanced cook for an advanced cook i would push you towards the food lab um which mm. is by j kenji lopez that's and my face it's fantastic for advanced because what it does is it gives you an exam it takes the basics and it makes them unbelievably detailed science-based recipes that take something as simple as mashed potatoes and makes it the best mashed potatoes you've ever had mm. and, the, and he walks you through that so if you, like, if you like the science if you like not listening to old wives tales of what you know how you're supposed to cook things because they just oh they just said that's how you're supposed to do it no mm. no you want to know the why yeah and and how to really elevate your cooking this is a great book so that's the food lab cool and then best cookbook for someone who is a brand new cook they've never even made anything for themselves the so first place you should look is mark bitman um mark bitman is a writer food writer for the new york times and he makes recipes and he's fantastic he's been doing it for a long time and he's got lots of really good books and he has a series that's like how to cook everything. And it's how to cook everything fast, how to cook everything vegetarian, how to cook every how to bake everything. And it's these giant yeah, they're books. They're huge books. I mean, there's gotta be thousands of recipes in there. And you just flip through the sections and like the everything fast book, which I loved, and that helped me train for chopped because you have to cook oh, fast. True. I cooked my way through that book pretty much. Um, it's everything under 30 minutes or less, right? So that's a really great way because you shouldn't be taking on these daunting hour-long cooking projects when you're just starting out. Like, make it easy, make it fun, learn how to make some really quick things, and he has just got this very good detailed book. So I would say how to cook everything, specifically how to cook everything fast, is a really great place to start. Great. And any last words on food? Yeah. How to get on Chopped? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Apply. Um to like anyone nowadays um, <laughs> but, not right now that's true um but yeah no keep cooking screw up because i do all the time i made my own recipe for a mango bread the other day and it had not enough sugar and too much flour and so i'm gonna try it again another time but and, and you learn and you keep cooking um it's fun play music when you cook don't take it too seriously it's just food amazing thank you so much for joining and thanks for having me of course and we'll definitely i think we'll be hearing more from you in the future i'd hope i'd love to be back and maybe you'll have a cookbook one day that'd be awesome that'd be cool <laughs> so for some charities to support those in need in relation to food because this episode is all about food during covid19 I am just going to be recommending a couple. I know that there are a bunch more out there, but I didn't want to inundate everyone and overwhelm people. So I figured I would share just three that I'm really a big fan of, and I will link them all in the description of this episode so that you can donate or figure out how to get involved. So the first one is Feeding America, which is a more popular and known organization. And 
if you go to their website, feedingamerica.org, you can donate any amount and that really helps with just feeding food banks across the country and feeding people in need with their communities. And they are really looking for funds for their COVID-19 response fund right now to support people that are facing hunger and the food banks that help them really need help right now. So that is one. Another one is actually my roommate sent me this one today, which I thought was really interesting. And it is supporting New York City restaurants with a new cookbook. So it's in partnership with Roar, which is Relief Opportunities for All Restaurants. And it is a new e-cookbook. It's actually called Serving New York for All the People Who Make New York City Dining Unforgettable. And it features more than 45 different recipes from New York City's best restaurants. And so a lot of them on there I definitely love and can't wait to go back to when this is all over. And so all of the recipes were created by the chefs specifically for the book and they highlight all pantry and freezer staples so that you can easily make these dishes at home. And like we were just talking about on the episode with a lot of frozen foods and things like that. So the ebook will be released early mid May, so around the time that this episode is going out, but you can pre-order your copy today at inhouseathome.com. And again, I will link that in the description. Okay, so this next one is called Rally for Restaurants, and you can just go to rallyforrestaurants.com. And so this one is similar to the e-cookbook a little bit, but it's not just New York City restaurants, it's nationwide. So basically you can search any restaurant name and you can support that local restaurant by either ordering takeout or if you're not near there and you don't want to get takeout, you can buy a gift card or you can rally your government officials to take action so that these local restaurants and small businesses have a chance to survive and many of the restaurant workers' jobs are at risk and they're struggling because of COVID-19. So this is a great way to help. And again, all of these organizations will be in the description box. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode and enjoyed learning a little bit more about food and also what you can do to help out during this time. And I will see you next time. Bye. Okay, okay, okay.